0: All right, everyone. We're going to go ahead and jump in. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, we really are excited to, to wrap up this class with you tonight. We're grateful that you've stuck with us and that you've been coming week after week, and we really are grateful for you guys being here. We're going to go ahead and pray, and we will jump in. Laura, I thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Colossians and for the opportunity that we as a group has ha- have had to to walk through your word together. We thank you that your word never returns void, but that it accomplishes everything that you send it out to accomplish. So we pray, Lord, tonight that you would accomplish stuff in us through your word, that your word would speak clearly to us, and that we would walk away tonight with a uh, greater understanding of what your word means and a greater understanding of how to study it on a day-to-day basis. We pray us in your name, amen. Hey, if you are, and I think we've got uh, a few uh, people who are at tables by themselves, if you don't mind being adopted by a table that has a few people, uh, we're going to do some, some interaction and around the table time, and so that would be helpful to have conversations with somebody other than yourself, though. I sometimes like doing that, so, but it'll probably be helpful if you're at a table with a few other people. Hey, we really are grateful that you have chosen and taken the time to join us Each week as we've gone through the the book of Colossians and as as we look through the four chapters of Colossians, we've really had a a speed run through the book and there is a lot of deep treasure that can be found in the book of Colossians just like every book of the Bible. But we hope that through this study that you have been able to learn just little tidbits of information that you're able to take on a daily basis and be able to study God's Word in a deeper way. We're grateful for Josiah and, and Derek and and Ross even la- uh, two weeks ago, uh, as they taught through. And here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, I'm going to uh, be with you here for the first half of tonight, and then Ben Taylor, who serves as our missions pastor, is going to be joining us for the second half and wrapping us up. So we're going to we're going to take tonight's passage. We're beginning beginning in Colossians three, uh, verse eighteen, and we're going to split it up into two different sections. And I'll take the first half. Ben will take the second half, and we'll spend a significant amount of time around the table. Because I want to make this very clear that uh, Ben and I have a great opportunity to be up here and to lead and to teach, and we're grateful for that. But the most important thing that will happen tonight is what happens around your table as you practically look at the Word, as you read it, and as you apply it to your life. So the work that the Holy Spirit will be doing in you at the table is the most important thing that's going to happen here tonight. And so we hope that you are able to walk away this evening with tips and, and, and better understanding for how you are to study the Word on a daily basis. You know, uh, Brother Steve likes to say about the Bible that there are a lot of great books that you can read in this world, but that the Bible is the only book that reads you back. And ultimately, this is a a book that continues to deliver truth and impact and can transform our lives every day. Listen to what the Bible says about itself in uh, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart you notice that god's word is living and active you can read your bible every day for the next 50 years and read through it 50 times over the next 50 years and that very next day you're going to open it and you're going to read something seemingly for the very first time it's going to jump off the page it's going to hit your heart in a way that you've never noticed before and god's word has the ability to constantly come and and teach you new things in a fresh way. The Bible goes on to say that it's a sharp two-edged sword that's able to cut with such precision. You know, swords can cut between parts of our body in, in terms of joint and marrow, but it goes on to say that the Bible is able to judge between the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. You know, we can fake a lot of things in this life. We can have the absolute worst day you could ever imagine. We'll come to church and somebody says, hey, how are you doing? What do you say? Doing good. How are you? And you put that smile on. But when it comes to the Bible, you can't fake it. The Bible is able to read you, and it's able to understand the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And so as we study God's Word, and that's why we study God's Word, is that it helps us to become who God created us to be. As we start, we're going to spend some time here around the table, and we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, 18, through chapter 4, verse 1. That's the first passage we're going to be looking at this evening. And what I want you to do is I want somebody around your table to read it to your table. Read that passage uh, to your table. And everyone else, just like we've been doing each week, just maybe just jot down some observations. What are some words that stick out to you? What are some principles? What are some ideas that you might have a question about? This is always the first step of studying the Bible is reading and observing what is in the text. And now I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying this one thing. You'll notice that this might be a, a weird uh, passage to read in terms of Three eighteen 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And this is just a good opportunity to remind you that the, the chapters and the verses that are in the Bible were not there when they were originally written. Paul did not write, uh, write the book of Colossians in four different chapters. This was written as one letter to the church. And around the 1500s, somebody, for the sake of, of reference and to help people be able to study, assigned chapters and verses to these. And sometimes they they maybe not have, would have, didn't do it the exact way that we would have done it today, but at a certain point, it become precedent and locked in and and they didn't want to change it because they don't want to say, uh, Colossians four one, that'd be different than your Colossians four one. And so it's important to know that when we read and we get to the end of of chapter three, sometimes we stop and think, all right, we're taking a break. this is changing subjects. This is all that I'm supposed to read. But Paul never intended Colossians be broken up into four chapters. This was one letter that he wrote to the church. And so it's very helpful to have the chapters and the verses because we're able to quickly reference and I'm able to tell you where we want you to read without spending the first 30 minutes trying to explain which exact word we're starting at. But it's important to know while they're helpful, don't be uh, sidetracked by the uh, chapters and verses and think that just because a chapter ends that the thought ends. So this is a perfect example where the thought of this passage really extends into Colossians 4 verse 1. So take a few minutes around your table. Go ahead and read it and start making some observations. and We'll come back and I'll have you guys shout out some observations that you see from this passage. All right, we'll go ahead and continue. So I know, I know there's way more to talk through than, than you have time to do but we're not gonna even really discuss these things. I just wanna hear from you, what are some things that you, that you observed in the text that you just read? So just kind of popcorn style, let's just shout some stuff out and we'll, we won't spend a lot of time talking about it, but I just wanna hear some different things that you guys observed. Yeah, integrity. Family foundation. Yeah, foundation for the family. Yeah, that's great. Let's do two more. Respect, Respect. that's a, definitely a key term. Yeah, inside and outside the home. Yeah. And as I shared with the table in in uh forward one, we need to realize that even though we may be masters or we may be uh employers or whatever, there's somebody hiring you. Yeah. And we need to realize that. Yeah, absolutely. It's all like yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Those are all all great insights. And and what we're gonna do for this first half as we look at this is we're going to walk verse by verse through this. And we're not going to hit the entire thing. We're just going to maybe spend the next five to 10 minutes walking through a few of these verses. And we're going to spend time specifically looking at the, the way that cross-references help us as we study the, the Bible. Now, raise your hand if you have a Bible here that has cross-references in it. And what that means is either in the middle or on the side, on the bottom, it's a little tiny little text you can barely read that has other Bible verses mentioned. So m- most Bibles have it, and most Bibles, are, it's incredibly hard to read, uh, but it's incredibly useful. So we're going to spend the first half walking through the use and the, the reason that we need those Crawford re- references and how they help us, and then Ben's going to come the second half and talk about how to do some deeper word studies and how to, how to focus in on some words that you can do uh, as you study, study Scripture. You know, the, the Bible was not meant to be read in isolation from itself. The Bible talks about the whole council of scripture. And a lot of times people form their doctrine, they'll, they'll open their Bible and they'll read a, a verse or a chapter and they'll form an entire doctrine after, after what they read in just a small portion of scripture. But it's incredibly important that when we are forming doctrine and forming our ideas of what the Bible says, that we not, that we not just isolate one verse and pull all our ideas from that, but that we look at the entirety of scripture. I heard it say one time that the absolute best commentary on the bible is the bible and so what you need to do is you always need to interpret the bible in light of the bible you need to interpret scripture through scripture and cross-references are an incredibly helpful tool to help us do that i want to give you one example of where this is uh, incredibly important in terms of how sometimes people will read one part of scripture ignore other parts and they're able to form doctrines Uh, that may not agree with all of Scripture, but that they can absolutely defend with certain verses of Scripture and how that can sometimes be dangerous and get us in a trap. We'll start here in Ephesians 1 and look at a few verses that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. And a lot of people will read that, and there's some great truth in that scripture, and it's 100% scripture, just like John 3.16 is scripture. But some people will read that and say, you see, it says here that God uh, predestines us to salvation. And, and, and you, you'll hear that word a lot. But a lot of times we'll ignore John 3.16 and 17 that talks about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Or 2 Peter 3.9 that talks about the fact that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So as we read Scripture, it's incredibly important that we not just read one verse and form a doctrine based on that. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage in Colossians three eighteen through four one. We'll, we'll hit the first few verses like in this style right here, and then we're going to send it back to the table and let you do a few uh, verses on your own, looking at your Bibles with your cross references. And if you don't have a Bible with cross references at your table, we've got a few that you can that you can borrow for this time as well. You know, when you look at all the cross references in Scripture, it's amazing how even though Scripture was written across many hundreds and thousands of years, and by d- dozens of different authors across different cultures and different settings, how amazing it is how it all fits so well together and how everything continues to point ultimately towards Jesus Christ. But it's a message that has a lot of continuity within itself. If you look at it, I looked it up and, and thought, you know, I wonder how many cross-references there are in Scripture. If you look at all of Scripture, now these aren't going to be all listed in your Bible, but most scholars have identified just under 64,000 cross-references that can be pulled from within the Scripture. So this could be a journey that it could take you for the rest of your life and you'll never dive in deep and be able to exhaust the resource that is cross references. So here there are three really different types of cross references, and you'll see this as we go through them. Sometimes the Bible, especially in the New Testament in some translations, they'll bold it. Sometimes it's in all caps, but sometimes the New Testament will reference the Old Testament. They'll do a quote from the Old Testament. That's sometimes where you'll see a cross reference where they'll say, hey, this is where the, the passage in the Old Testament that the author is writing. Sometimes you'll, you'll see a cross-reference that will show you a parallel passage in Scripture, and that's one we'll see tonight very heavily, where, hey, Paul wrote this here in Colossians, but if you look over in Ephesians, he wrote a lot of the same stuff, and you can compare these two things, these two uh, passages of Scripture, in order to get a deeper understanding. And sometimes the, uh, the, quote, the citation or the, uh, the cross-reference is simply to show you, hey, this is a topic that Paul's addressing here, But if you look over here, another person, either Paul or another author, addressed this topic in a lot of detail here so you can kind of get a better understanding of what this might mean. And so we're going to walk through just very simply through here, and we're going to talk about some cross-references that we find. And like I said, just pay attention, and we're going to do this uh, one or two verses, and then we're going to send it right back to the table and let you guys spend some time just looking at the cross-references, reading it, and seeing what, what you learn. So we'll start here in Colossians 3, verse 18. The Bible says, Paul wrote here, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I've, I referenced two Bibles as I looked at this, and both of them uh, did a block citation here. It says, hey, you need to pay attention to Ephesians 5, and following for this entire section that we're looking at tonight. So I flipped over to Ephesians 5, and this is what 5, 22 through 24 says. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And what you see here is that Ephesians gives he, he wrote a lot more about this topic in Ephesians. But actually, both the Colossians verse and the verses of Ephesians contribute more information that you don't find in the other one. So you really need both of these passages in order to understand fully what Paul is intending for us to do here. He talks in Colossians three eighteen be subject to your husband husbands and this is not present in Ephesians he says as is fitting in the Lord and what does that mean that does that mean that you're to obey a husband a wife is to obey a husband if it's a sinful activity absolutely not Paul says here in Colossians that we are to do it as is fitting in the Lord we are not to to sin against the Lord and follow somebody into sin but as long as it is it is uh, not going against the Lord that is what we're supposed to do but we go on in Ephesians to see that why are we to do this? He gives the rationale and the reasoning, and ultimately because the the relationship between the wife and the husband is a picture of Christ and his church. And so while we don't see that in Colossians directly here, when we look at the cross-reference, we look at Ephesians, we're able to understand that there's a reason Paul is is saying this. There's a reason. It's not just some random rule. It's not just some cultural thing of, well, this is the, the Bible times. This is 2,000 years ago. This doesn't apply today. No, there's a very biblical reason And a Christological reason, a reason that points to Christ as to why we are to do this. If you look and look at others, so that's a great one. We'll look at Ephesians back and forth through this. But you also look here and it says, uh, there's a cross-reference to 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. And it says this in that verse, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, As they observe the chaste and respectful behavior so in peter we we continue the idea of of the relationship between the husband and the wife but peter opens up a little more light onto the subject and says hey this is an opportunity not just to model christ in the church but this is an opportunity for wives to ultimately influence their husbands towards a deeper love for christ this is an opportunity for a wife to show and, and model in her behavior how one is to live for christ so just a couple different cross-references there that really add a lot to Colossians 3.18 and help you to understand a deeper level what Paul is writing there. Let's move on to, to uh, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You go over to Ephesians 5.25-33, through and he says, Husbands, love your wives, and then now he gives the rationale again. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So once again, same idea here, Why husbands love your wives. But in Ephesians 5, he gives reasoning, the rationale. Why are we to do this? Because this is an example of how the Christ loved his church, and that's the kind of way a husband is supposed to love his wife. You look in Colossians 3.19, though, and there's information even there. Even though it's shorter, there's information that's not in the Ephesians account. He goes on, he says, husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. He states it in the positive and the negative, and it gives you a good picture. Once again, another uh, cross-reference here from, from 1 Peter 3, verse 7, that goes on to explain what it even means to love your wife and how you can do that. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So, Paul teaches us that husbands are to love their wives and not be embittered against them. And the reason that we do that is because Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's the kind of way that we're supposed to love our wives as husbands. A husband is supposed to love his wife in such a way that Christ loved the church, being willing to give up his own life. And not just that, but we are to show our wives honor and our love towards them as a fellow heir in the grace of life. This is not a uh, respect and submit to your husband and lead your wife in a hierarchy in terms of who's more important. Uh, Peter is very clear here. Hey, our wives are fellow heirs in the grace of life. We're walking towards Christ together with them. This is not a, a hierarchy in that way, but there is an order to the household that Christ has set that models the relationship that God Christ and the church have with one another. And Peter goes on to say here that a consequence for not loving your wife, he says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Such an important thing to add in, into to Paul's statement of loving your wives. It's easy to, to kind of dismiss it a little bit sometimes back like, well, I'm, I'm trying my best, but I, it's important for me to do this and that. But then you go and you pray and you realize that according to Peter here, if you don't love your wife as a husband properly, your prayers are gonna be hindered. And so there's a a greater reason than just even the immediate family. If you want your prayers to be heard, if you want your prayers to be answered, you have to love your wife, it's all connected. And we see this looking at cross-references. So what I want us to do is I want us to go to the table and I want you to start in Colossians 3 verse 20, just read the verse and look at a cross-reference and just flip through some cross-references and see if you can get any more light on the topic by any of the cross references that are, are in the list now i'm just going to be very honest with you sometimes i'll, I'll be looking at cross references and I'll, I'll read say colossians 3:20, and i'll look at the cross reference and then i'll i'll jump over to that cross reference i'll read it and i'll jump back and i'll look at it again to make sure i got it right and i'll go read it again and i have no clue why they thought that that was a cross reference sometimes it's very difficult to uh, obtain and understand what it is and sometimes it's because they're a whole lot smarter than i am uh, in terms of that. But in those instances, Dr. Rogers used to always say when it comes to scripture, don't worry about the things you don't understand. Just obey the things that you do understand. And if you obey the things you do understand, soon you'll understand the things you didn't understand in the first place. Understand? <laughs> so that's the that's the way this is. Maybe you'll get to a cross-reference and you'll read it and it doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't understand it. Uh, just keep moving on. Move on to the next cross-reference and see if there's something that you can pull. So sp- spend a few minutes around the table And what I'll do is we'll come back, we'll go around the the room and say maybe a few things that you learned about the topic. Let's just focus on this one, maybe Colossians 3, 20 and 21 about children and fathers and see if there's anything that you can glean from the cross references in that section. All right, once again, not nearly enough time to, to flip all the verses, but let's jump out. Is there anything that stuck out to you from a cross-reference that maybe you found interesting or something that you thought would add more light to the topic in Colossians chapter 3? Sorry, Yeah. Did, did you guys read anything in, in a cross-reference that maybe stuck out to you or that, that you thought was interesting that would that would help you as you were to understand what Paul meant in Colossians uh, in these verses. Yeah, right back here. Yeah, perfect yeah that's a great illustration an example right there the command for a child to obey their parents is what she's saying is not just for the benefit of the the parent but according to to the scriptures probably in deuteronomy and some other places where it walks through hey this is what you're supposed to do and it will actually bode well for you as a child and there's a command that actually the bible says the first command with a promise that is to go well for you to live long in the land that the lord is your god is giving you and so that's a great example. Yeah, we're, we're told here in Colossians that we are to obey our parents, uh, but looking at the cross references, there's deeper understanding of why and what that means, and and how that actually helps us as children to obey our parents. Good deal. That's that's a great example. I hope that you will take time to to focus on on cross references and look at it. And when you read scripture, you know you're not gonna look at every cross reference of every verse, but as as you're reading and the Lord jumps out that verse to you, you guys know what I'm talking about when you're reading and And a verse just seems to jump off the page and and the Lord really grabs your heart and and attention to a verse, I encourage you to take some time and study and look at those cross-references and take the time to do it uh, in order to understand a little better what Paul means or the Bible means in what it's writing. Now Ben is going to come up and he's going to take it over from here as we look at uh, Colossians 4 verses 2 through 6, I believe.
1: All right, well, good evening, everyone. I have the the distinct honor of talking about um, word studies. And, And what we're wanting you to walk away from this whole series is not only a deeper understanding of Colossians, but with some tools that you're going to be able to utilize every day with your Bible study. And when we start talking about word studies, I want you to know, you need to understand that language is a gift from the Lord. And when we begin to dive down deep into the language, it is an awesome opportunity for us to be able to see the intricacies of who God is and who his word is. Now, Y'all tell me, y'all have been through this, but uh, what uh, was the Old Testament, what language was the Old Testament written in? Hebrew, and there's one more, at least one more, Aramaic, all right, what about the New Testament? Greek, right? When you read and investigate these languages, it is amazing how deep they go. It is amazing how by understanding a little bit of that language, you can get a broader and deeper understanding of who God is so that we can better see what God is trying to teach us out of his scripture and out of his word. And so tonight we're going to have an opportunity to walk through that. So what I'm going to do is just talk a little bit. I'm going to do a little bit different um, style than uh, Noah. Noah, can you help me figure out why my stuff's not on there? Uh, So, so, but we've been walking through Colossians and we've been having a a great opportunity to to see um, what Paul is trying to teach us. And we started off with, with Josiah. He was here. And if you were here that first week, he really talked about three words that we need to engage in when we talk about our scripture intake. He talked about observe, which you've been doing already tonight. And he talked about interpret. And does anybody remember what the last word he talked about was? Apply, so we have these three words that we are going to to do every time that we try to get into God's word. And one of the reasons why we do that is so that we can see. And just like Noah was talking about, how the word of God can teach and read us. Sometimes, when we go deeper in the study and knowledge of God's word, it becomes so much more clear. So as we talked about this idea, when you read Paul, he many times will have. On the front part of his letters, he will talk about um, theology, right? And we know from what we studied on week one in our background, the theology that he was focusing on is what we would consider Christology, the doctrine of Christ. Why? Because the, the Colossian church was experiencing heresy, and it all revolved around the person of Christ. Well, so we have... Chapters 1 and 2 are really a theological treatises on the person of Christ. We talk about how he is preeminent and all that he is. And then in chapter 3 and 4, there's a switch where he moves from the theological to what I call the practical. And, and He's so now in light of the truths that we just learned about Christ, we can begin to, to see how it begins to apply to our lives. And, and what we've learned and what you've already been talking about today is you see that our relationship with Christ affects every other relationship that we have. And he walked through that. In chapter in chapter 3, uh, we begin to see in, in verses 1 through 3, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, he's talking to believers, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Whose mind? Your mind. That's my mind. I've got to focus on myself. So my relationship with Christ has implications upon who I am and my relationship with myself. Then he goes into what we just talked about those family relationships in chapters 3 verses 18 through 20, your relationship your works relationships and then also your relationship with work. Sometimes we need to be reminded of Colossians 3:20, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. You ever walk into work some days and you don't want to do your work? <laughs> You're like I got to go in again, right? But when we change the way that we relate to our work and we say, no, I'm not going in just to get a paycheck. I'm going to honor the Lord. You see how that changes and transfers everything that we do at work? And then we also have relationships based on authority. We talk about that relationship that we've already mentioned between master and servant. And it's just amazing to see how not only are those that are in places of authority need to treat those that are under them well and Christ-like, but also those who are, uh, uh, have people above them must treat them with honor and respect in a Christ-like manner. So you need to know, Colossians is, is telling us that your relationship with Christ affects every relationship that you have. And here's the thing. Our life as believers is to be about relationships. And so if you are walking through relationships right now that you would say that your Christian faith is not having an impact on, then I think we need to readjust and reevaluate our lives and our relationships. And so what we see in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, we see Paul's final call to action to the Colossians we see what he is telling, and it's summarized by two simple commands. Devote yourselves to prayer and conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. And I love this because Paul seemingly, he's telling the Colossians that their relationship with Christ is going to help intensify their relationship in prayer and then also will affect how you treat others who are outside of the faith. And so tonight, as you look at your notes, we're going to really begin to explore these two commands that we as followers of Jesus Christ must follow. And the first command is this, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. So you look as in chapter, verse two, chapter 4, verse 2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. When I begin to look and I'm studying this text in my quiet time or if I'm studying it to teach, I start to try to identify important words, all right? How many people love English grammar? Amen. We got some with hands up. When we are looking in English grammar, right, and don't lose... I've just lost some of you right now. Some of you just put your heads on the table. I'm sorry. But this is so critical because language is a gift from God. We need to be able to, to dive down deep into that language. So put your English grammar hat on. When you're looking at a s- sentence in English, what are some of the major parts that we need to look, look at? we got really two primary ones that we focus on. Subject and verb, right? subjects or nouns, y'all are going to hate me for this, You're right. people, place, or thing. thing, verbs are actions, things that, that we do or are done to us, right? So we're talking about grammar. So in this verse of scripture, I automatically start looking at verbs and uh, subjects or nouns. So the first thing that pops right off, of my, off the page to me is that first word, devote, Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, when you look at the word devote, how many of you would say that it is... Well, I'm not going to do that. I don't want anybody to get the wrong answer. It's a verb. I'll go ahead and tell you. (laughs) It's a verb, right? Now, I want to start looking at this verb. And just by looking at the English verb, I can assume or I I can miss some things. But if I begin to look at the Greek verb... And begin to see, okay, what is this? I can learn so much more. I have this website up. If, if you use technology at all, this website is a great website to go deeper in the word study of Scripture. It's called dot com. It's mobile friendly and it is very, very good um, across the board. So I'm just going to kind of navigate some of this, and we're going to, I'm just going to focus on this word, devote. So you see right up here, uh, I'm going to choose the verse of Scripture that I'm reading from, and it's uh, New American Standard 1995 version. That's the, the version that pastor uses most of the time. And I'm going to top in Colossians chapter 4. All right, pretty simple so far. All right, now... So this gives me every uh, chapter or every verse from Ephesians chapter 4. Now watch this. We're focused on chapter on verse 2 right here. I'm going to click on tools. I want to see, watch you see how cool this is. It has an inter, interlinear version. What that does is that matches the Greek with the English word. It has different Bible translations. I can look at the King James, New King James, New Living Translation, New uh, International Version, ESV. It goes to cross-references, which we just talked about. It goes to commentaries, dictionaries, and miscellaneous. All right. This is just a way that you can quickly go a little bit deeper. We're focusing on word study, so I'm going to go right here to this interlinear version. So we talked about Devote yourselves. Now, I want you to understand this is two words in English. It's only one word in Greek. You see this right here? I'm not even going to pronounce it for you. But it's there. Trust me. All right? Now, watch this. This is going to blow your mind. Towards the end, an attitude of thanksgiving. It's four words in English, one small little word in Greek. The reason why I show you that is that's how deep the Greek language is. It's like out of this one word with context and all that we have, we can see so much more and it's that idea and attitude of thanksgiving. Now going back up to to, uh, devote yourselves, I'm going to click on this right here. This little box pops up and this tells me a lot right here. Speech, what part of speech is it? It's a verb, present tense, active, imperative, second person, plural. All right? I want to show you something. You, you may say, I have no idea what any of that means. It tells you. So I'm going go to go uh, to mood, imperative. I'm clicking on that, and it says, corresponds to the English imperative and expresses a command to the hearer to perform a certain action by the order and authority of one commanding. When you see a word that's imperative, it means it's a command. So, automatically, when I'm looking at this verse of Scripture, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. So, is that a suggestion? Is it something that you, it's a good thing for you to do? Yes, but it's more than that. It's a command from someone who is in authority that we are to follow. Now, if I'm just looking and I'm not having my grammar hat on, I can miss that completely. And understand, this person right here, second person, when you talk about first person, second person, third person, second person is you. So you can't put it off on anybody else. Paul's telling you to devote yourselves to prayer. Paul is commanding you to devote yourselves to prayer. Now, when we look at this, I can go right here to this Strong's word, this uh, this. uh Little link right here, and it goes to the Strong's Concordance, and it gives you a definition to, and I love this definition right here to be steadfastly attentive unto, to give unremitting care to a thing, steadfastly attentive, to persevere, to not to faint, to show oneself courageous. But look at this the way that it's used here in definition number two it says to give unremitting care to a thing. Right, If you're like me, I did not know what unrementing meant. So you know what I did? I went to a dictionary. <laughs> so I looked up unrementing. And listen to this. Listen to what unrementing means. Never relaxing or slack, uh, slackening. Incessant. So it's saying, I am never to relax in prayer. I am to be devoted to it. I am not to relent. I am to go deep into prayer so that I can do all that God has called me to do. Isn't that good? And again, I'm going to remind you, it's not a suggestion, it's a what? A command. All of that by looking into a little bit of this study of the Word. And it's amazing. When we begin to use God's gift of language, we have English, but we can use the English language to help us better understand what the Greek is. And it gets so much deeper. See, so many times we just brush by words. Words that we read in a biblical text that we do not know the meaning of, and we don't even try to look it up. And so it's important for us to, gr- to grasp everything that God is doing. So to be steadfastly attentive to prayer, never relaxing, never slacking up, always being that. So now with that said, we can see several things from this passage. We are commanded to devote ourselves to prayer, so we need to look deeper into it. Where, what else does, does Paul say here? He says, um, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. Keeping alert. I did the same thing. I'm not going to do it again. Went through it, looked at the definition, looked at the piece of grammar it was. Listen, to, to watch, give strict attention to, to be cautious, active. That is an active participation that I am to, to give attention to prayer. Keeping alert is what he says with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter uh, 5 to pray without ceasing. Same type of message here. Keeping alert in your attitude of prayer. Now, when I look at this idea about keeping alert, this picture comes to my mind. My children at a swimming pool when there's a bunch of people around. I can't relax one bit when my children are at at the swimming pool. I am like this. Where's the head? One, two, three. Still got them. One, two, three. Still got them. One, two, three. Still got them. One, okay. Okay. What actually? Oh, no. One, two, three. Still got them. And that's just my, that's what I do. I am keeping alert. Now imagine that type of alertness and attentiveness going into your prayer life. You have something in your heart and your mind, somebody that's asked you to pray for them, and you say you're going to pray for them, and it's like, one, two, three, oh, I've got to pray for them. Oh, that reminds me of them. I need to pray for them. Oh, I need to be praying for them because they're going through this today. Do you see how beautiful that picture is about keeping alert? And we're using this illustration of of me and my kids, but you can put that on anything that that you keep alert at, right? A friend of mine back here is a retired um, air traffic controller. You bet you want air traffic controllers to keep alert, right? Especially if you're on the plane, right? You want to make sure they know where your plane is and what's going on at all times. Imagine if we put that type of attentiveness to our prayer life. How much would it change us? So we must pray with intentionality if we're going to be alert. That's our first sub-point under that. We must pray with intentionality. Next we must pray with thanksgiving and I love this. This reminds me of a verse of scripture from Psalms. What does he say in cha- uh, verse 2? He says, "Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an uh, keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving." My mind automatically went to Psalm 100 verse 4. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. As we are keeping alert and attentive and devoted to our prayer life, it says to enter in with thanksgiving. And I love that. With a heart of thanksgiving, devote yourself to prayer. And there's something about when we begin to praise God for who he is and what he does, that it just kind of opens the gates of heaven for us that we, we don't start, start off automatically by telling Him what we need and what we want, but we praise Him and thank Him for what He's already giving us. And Paul right here is telling us, hey, if you want access to God, start in your prayer life with thanksgiving. So we must pray with thanksgiving. And then he ends this, this focused portion on prayer for this last thing. When I love it, he says, pray for gospel opportunities so devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving praying at the same time for us as well so he's asking for the colossians to pray for them that god will open us open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of christ for which i have been in prison that i may make it clear in the way i ought to speak so Paul is saying, devote yourselves to prayer, begin with thanksgiving, and while you're praying and devoting yourself to prayer, pray for me. Pray that we will have an opportunity for the gospel, that we may speak a word. And I love what this is, is meaning for us, is that, that translated and applied to our own lives today, we need to pray for gospel opportunities. Ask God to provide opportunities. Back in March, I was in Kenya. One of, one of our former men, members, Baron Muga, uh, he now is actively training Kenyans to go and share their faith and start churches. I had an opportunity to attend one of his trainings. And we trained, and then he said, okay, we're going to go out now. No, 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 I just came for the training. Uh, I, I'm not from Kenya. I don't know how to speak Swahili. Uh, that's No, I just came for the training. So he said, we're going to go out. And we went out with, uh, with Kenyans and other uh, missionaries that were there. We went onto the streets right outside where we were staying. Before we left, we prayed for gospel opportunities. In 45 minutes, because training went long, we had 45 minutes. In 45 minutes, we prayed and we went out we had 17 gospel conversations with three professions of faith. We prayed intentionally and we prayed with thanksgiving and we prayed for gospel opportunities. That's important. We must be devoted to prayer. Now, what I want you to do now is at your tables, spend two to three minutes and talk about one way that you would want to Maybe devote yourself to prayer this week. And it, maybe it comes straight from one of these points. Maybe you want to pray with intentionality. Maybe you want to pray with thanksgiving or pray for gospel opportunities. But use your time at the table to talk about one thing that you want to do in your life this week in regards to devoting yourself to prayer. Because if we just read the Bible and never make any changes to our life, we're missing it. We need to be willing within Christian community to tell others about how this verse of Scripture is going to transform the way that we think, the way that we act. And so do that at your tables for just a few minutes. All right, I hate to interrupt, but we're gonna we have an outline and you still have blanks and I can't let y'all go home without the blanks. Um, We are uh, you may be here and as as soon as I got on the computer, you said Ben, that's not for me. I'm not going to do that, Um, and and I completely understand. Um, This is a this is a great digital tool that you had can have access free anytime, uh, blueletterbible.org. But if, if you would say, man, I really want to dive into the languages, but I don't want to use my phone. I don't want to use a computer to do that. Uh, if you're in the market for a new Bible, this is a Bible that I have that I, uh, love. It is what's called a keyword study Bible. It's put out, uh, out from AMG publishers. And in this study Bible, uh, it uses, uh, numbers that correspond to a lot of the same information that is on this website. Now, not every word that has a number in this Bible is in the back, but they have bigger books that are about this thick that have every word in it. And so if you really want to go deeper in the language, but you don't want to use computer tools, I would say first start with this Bible. I have had one since I was about 15 years old. And it has helped so much in my understanding of the language in the scriptures. And so I would encourage you that if you're in the market for a new Bible, uh, Rick Jones would be happy that I'm promoting it. You can buy one at the bookstore. Um, but, uh, but they're there. Uh, and uh, so I would encourage you to use that if, if you want to go deeper without the use of technology. I want to kind of follow up with that second command that we've already started talking about. We talked about already that we want to devote ourselves to prayer. We want to pray with intentionality, pray with thanksgiving, and pray for gospel opportunities. The second command that Paul gives the Colossians, and I believe that he's giving us today, is we need to conduct ourselves or conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. That's straight from the text. And I love this because we can begin to see that we have to be intentional with those that are not of the faith. So in this as I look at this verse of scripture, my mind automatically went to outsiders. It's straight from the text. He says in conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Now, Noah just taught us about cross-referencing. So I immediately went to the cross reference uh, verse chapter uh, verse 5 cross reference B in my bible says mark chapter 4 verse 11 so i turned to mark chapter 4 verse 11 and i and i said okay What does it say? I started at verse 10 because that's a new paragraph and it will help me get a little bit better of the context. It says, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables. And so that same Greek word that was used in Mark chapter 11, Paul used in Colossians chapter 4. And what we see here from the context of, of Mark chapter 4 is that it's those that were maybe outside of the faith that didn't understand everything that Jesus was teaching, but those who heard and responded, they began to understand what Jesus was teaching in the form of parables. So for us, as we look at those who are outside, I believe that these are those that are outside of the faith, and we need to conduct ourselves with wisdom. Now, what's wisdom? We know this. It's applied knowledge. You can have a lot of knowledge and never apply it that makes you not wise. <laughs> but if you have wi- if you have wisdom, that means you have the knowledge and you apply it properly. And so how do we do that? I think we see three ways through this text. The first one is we must act with intentionality. Act with intentionality. It's we have to pray with intentionality, but we also have to act with intentionality. Going back to my Kenya trip, We prayed that God would give us gospel opportunities. And what was the next thing that we did? We went out. We acted intentionally. We expected that, hey, we're going to go out looking for gospel opportunities. And we prayed for those opportunities, and God provided. And I think that's a beautiful picture. We have to be willing to not only pray for God to move, but we have to be willing to go as God has called us to go. So when we are working and moving towards those that are outside of the faith, those that are not believers, we have to act with intentionality. We have to be willing to do things that are outside of our comfort zone, go places that we wouldn't normally go, and engage them in ways that we maybe wouldn't think are, are uh, uh, that are maybe even uncomfortable. Maybe it's going to a, a country that where you don't speak the language or or just doing t- all kinds of different things, but we have to be intentional with the way we act and then Paul clearly says. Next, we have to speak with grace. He says, making the most of the opportunity, let your speech always be with grace. How is grace defined? It's it's that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. It's the grace of speech. You know, when you are having a conversation with a lost person, sometimes As believers, we try to win the argument and not win them. And that's not seasoning your your speech with grace. Dr. Gray Allison over at Mid-American Seminary, he always said, leave them sweet. He's like, you may not win them to Christ, but you need to leave them sweet. And that means that they walk away from the conversation with you understanding the truth and be encountering the truth, but not angry, upset, unless the gospel offends them, because we know many times the gospel does offend, but it's not because you're being offensive. Does that make sense? So we have to be willing to speak with grace. And I love this picture of salt and light, where we begin to see uh, that he says, in, uh, as those seasoned with salt my mind automatically went, and it's cross-referenced here: is Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen and fourteen. Jesus says that you are to be salt and light. You know, salt in the first century—you know what it did? It was used as a preservative, right? It slowed the decay. And light in the first century, when there was no electricity, no ambient light from streetlights or anything like, when dark—it was dark. It was dark. But a single flame of light could go such a long way. So our speech can be used as such to help slow down the decay in that we are speaking truth in love to them that they might have an opportunity to receive Christ. Or that we are shedding light in their dark world with Scripture and with what we're saying. So think about how you speak with lost people and is it seasoned with salt? Do you speak with grace? And the last thing I want to show you before we close tonight is, is that not only must we act with intentionality and speak with grace, but we must respond wisely. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. When you're walking through a conversation with a lost person, try to discern how you can better understand them so that you can better speak to where they're at. The cross-reference for this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, Be prepared to always have a defense for the gospel. And a defense does not mean that you're being offensive again, but it's being prepared to answer the questions that they have. And by doing that, you are responding wisely to the lost people in your life. These last two commands that he gives us to Colossians, he's telling us, that we have to uh, be devoted to prayer and that we must conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. What would it look like if tomorrow you lived out those two verses? That you could say, I have been faithful to these commands tomorrow. May that be our prayer. As we close, I just want to say thank you so much for walking through Colossians with us. I hope that you have been given and provided some ways and tools that you can go deeper in your own personal study. And as you go deeper in your own personal study, don't don't allow it to become just a head knowledge. Allow it to transform your heart. We We can exegete or interpret a passage perfectly. But if it never has any implications on our lives and never transforms our hearts, we are missing the point. Because the Word of God must transform our thoughts and our actions. And so our prayer is that you will have learned a little bit better how you can go deeper in your study and then also learn from the lessons of uh, Paul from Colossians. Josiah, do we have anything else before we close in prayer? All right, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your love and your mercy. We're thankful for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I thank you for these men and women who have given of their time, Lord, and how they have interacted with Scripture tonight and how, Lord, not only have we read the text, but the text has read us. Even as I studied and began to learn about what it truly means to be devoted to prayer, Lord, I saw the shortcomings in my own prayer life. And Lord, I pray that... that you will transform my heart in regards to prayer so that I can pray with intentionality, so that I can pray with that thanksgiving, and and that I can pray for the lost and for those gospel opportunities. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in this room tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will transform us and that you will use your word to pierce our hearts and that we will walk away each day, each time that we are in your word, forever changed, because it can change us, and it can transform us. We thank you, and we love you. In your Son's most precious name we pray. Amen.